Welcome to the Highway Freaks. We interview musical artists, people in the news, truckers, songwriters, 80s rock bands, or anyone we meet on the road. I'm Bry Guy, your road dog host. And now, J-Man, the Snarl, Motorhead Mark, Wing It Will, Canadian Lady Trucker Janet, and the Pink Bombshell. This is the Highway Freaks. Real truckers, real bike. Yes, we are Highway Freaks, real truckers, real life. I'm Bry Guy, your road dog host. And tonight on my road crew, we have GM Blacktop, our country and western singer uh, extraordinaire. We also can say that he is a truck driver and owner operator. He's back with us. Uh, we also have Birdman Bruce. The guy with the parrot, the trucks with the parrot. Uh, no, we won't have Terry on tonight, but uh, coming soon will be Terry's actual voice on Highway Freaks. You'll get to hear how he sounds uh, saying hello uh, as well. Uh, we also have uh, a new debut. Uh, we have Excitable Erin, okay? And Erin is going to tell you a little bit about herself when I cue her. And uh, of course, we have myself. Tonight's topics. Well, they, they range from Jimmy Buffett, uh, death biography and his life. That would be done by yours truly. And we also have the trucking industry doesn't change with inflation by GM Blacktop. Now, Bruce, what are you going to talk about tonight? Well, it came to me that the courtesy that drivers used to show for each other has gone out the window for some reason. And... It's really taken center stage with a couple of things that went on in the past couple of days. And it kind of annoyed me. Okay. And uh, we'll definitely get to that soon. Uh, I'm, I'm curious to hear what you've got on your mind. Uh, and our new debut, Excitable Aaron, what are you going to talk about tonight? Well, I'm going to talk a little bit about um, my background, uh, the expense of trucking, which is super surprising to somebody that hasn't been in the industry for very long. Um, yeah, just kind of what we do as a couple um, for trucking. Okay. Good, good to hear. Excellent. Okay, and um, you know our saying is "real truckers, real life." So uh, we we are missing some people tonight. Uh, Motorhead Mark has got to work overtime. That's that's trucking, guys. And uh, you know our buddy, our our compadre, my business partner, uh, J Man the Snarl. He is in transit with a load right now as we speak. So uh, I'll be going back on the road here on Saturday on my way to San Diego, California. So. Yeah, that's that's the way it is, and and that's why we epitomize, uh, you know, our slogan: "Real truckers, real life." So, anyway, let's start it off. Let's get her get her going. Bruce, you sound like you're just you've got fire coming out of your mouth. So we're gonna let you have a go at her, and uh, let's tell the freaks what's on your mind tonight. Well, you know, as uh, at least Brian knows I pull a uh, step deck 53 foot and you know usually I have a, a fairly large 
item of some kind. And just this last trip, I was hauling two uh, armored Humvees and uh, two uh, skid steers. If anybody doesn't know what they are, they're kind of like uh, a bobcat. Um, but I was driving along, you know, and I make way for people, you know, and if, if somebody wants, needs to get in front of me, I'll blink my lights and let them get in, you know, pretty as you please. And then I had several occasions and I don't know why they chose to do just that. I had one guy, now I don't go slow. I'm doing 75 miles an hour. Yeah, I'm in the left lane, but you know. I'm still doing 75. It's a 65 mile an hour zone. So I thought I was going fast enough uh, to be able to pass cars, which is what I was doing. Uh, and here's this guy. He's running along with me, which I don't mind, but he's like five feet behind my tail. And, you know, it kind of annoyed me that, you know, he didn't give me a little bit of berth. And then when he passes me, he tries to run me off the road. So I was talking to another uh, trucker uh, at, uh, I forgot where I was yesterday. Oh, I was, no, I don't remember. I don't remember where I was last night. But we were talking about, you know, even somebody coming into the door. And, you know, we I held the door for him. Didn't say boo to me. Just like I was a doorman, I opened the door, he walked in and carried on. Not not a, you know, thank you, man, nothing. So it kind of occurred to me in discussing with uh, this other driver that, you know, the courtesy that, you know, equal professionals out on the road had lost the sense of I don't even know if I call it respect, but just the courtesy that you show a, a fellow, you know, worker that's doing the exact same thing you are, basically. Uh, and they don't really give you the time of day. Not to say all of them do, because, you know, there are some people that are just as courteous as they always are. But then you have, and I don't even think they're only newbies that are out there, or maybe they're they're all foreigners. I don't know, but they they've lost that respect that we show one another, just a fellow human being endeavoring to, you know, do the job that they're they're being paid to do, or they're trying to earn the dollar that they're trying to earn. And maybe that's what it is. Maybe with the new mandates on the ELD, uh, the uh, the pressures from limited loads, maybe it's forcing everybody to, to push harder so they don't have the time and the, uh, the cordiality that they need to have to give everybody that, that level of, uh, I don't know, uh, you know, a, a common endeavor for people. Has anybody else seen the same thing? Yeah, I've seen I've seen that kind of thing going on. 
I think a lot of times it's <clears throat> the whole world has changed with trucking primarily because of, you know, there used to be a day where we used to, you know, communicate on CBs and, you know, that kind of thing to, to really have a brotherhood or a brother sisterhood out there. And now it seems that because probably because of the internet and everybody's on their phone all the time that most of the time radios are turned down. Guys don't even buy them anymore. And I think that where truckers used to be part of a world as a brotherhood, now it's a world of individuals in each each guy for himself and his own truck. And that that kind of stuff lends exactly what you're talking about. People that are entitled, people that aren't paying attention, people that think that you know they don't have to really get along with anybody. It just it's just kind of a, 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 a more of a phenomenon than anything. <laughs> yeah. Well, hopefully it revolves back around to the way it used to be or the way it could be. And I don't know if it's only with CBs because I don't think that, you know, I remember when that was big back in, uh, you know, the 70s and 80s, everybody had a CB. I know I did. Uh, but, you know, I've got one in my truck, but you can't really force people to do that so that they can actually converse with their fellow trucker who's, you know, in the truck next to them, down the road from them, going the other way. But there's got to be something that breaks the uh, the trend. And I don't think I it's just I good. No, sorry about that. I agree, uh, Birdman, because uh, there is certainly a lack of respect. I mean, from the last thing I heard about the CB and GM, maybe you can verify this. It's kind of used like a bitch tool now, really. Just people want to bitch at you and they want to tell you how lousy a truck driver you are. Is that what I'm, the feedback that is still happening there, buddy? GM? I said, typically, there's always been CB Rambos and that kind of thing, right? But I think that it's, uh, like I said, I think that everybody's just focused on something else nowadays. You know, the internet has really opened up cell phones to having, you know, an unlimited internet. They're watching movies. They're watching all sorts of listening to podcasts, all sorts of all sorts of stuff. So the idea of focusing on the camaraderie out there is kind of gone. It is. It is. Aaron, as a new driver, are you finding that right away? Oh, absolutely. I mean. I'm my big thing is like my husband tells me stories all the time of you know what trucking industry used to be like you know you'd go sit down at the end of the day for your meal and everybody would be talking you'd be in these almost big round tables of you know everybody having coffee in their meals and that just doesn't happen anymore like you just don't see that very rarely do you ever see people that don't know each other sitting beside each other and having a conversation i mean it's mostly just single drivers sitting by themselves or their spouses chit-chatting or you're on your phones half the time um but yeah it really it it is a big eye-opener because you know you you watch those old movies and stuff like that that old trucking movies and it's just not like that by any means anymore and when people are on the cv especially down low down south in the states it's just a bunch of like weird like jabber it's not even you know, coherent uh, jabber yeah. that's happening. You know, people are making noises on the CB, and you know, we have a CB. We have the what is the other one called? <laughs> the VHF, 
and uh, yeah, we we use them in between people that we know that have them, but most people don't have them on or don't have them at all. And here's the problem, Aaron, is the local uh, police in every area are now calling that a distracting tool. So now you're actually being deterred from using your CB. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, well, you, you, you can I thank know. those right? won wonderful lawmakers. Yeah, it's, everything's got to be handheld and, and uh, headset. And I, I will say one thing. When I see a fellow driver that, you know, has uh, his ear to the phone and he's got his his head tilted i i ram that air horn so loud because <laughs> there is no conceivable reason that you cannot have a headset i don't give a rat's ass if you say i can't afford it too bad that is a tool that is supposed to be used in the truck period anybody that's on a phone with their head tilted you lost my respect yeah no i fully agree with that that headsets are an easy commodity to come by nowadays yeah i mean really you can pick one up for on amazon for like 80 bucks really so at, at least get an earpiece for god's sakes you know so no there's no excuse for that wouldn't wouldn't uh, anybody on the, my panel disagree with me on that or or, or what what's your uh, opinions on that guys Well, I've been using a headset for years and I don't I don't even think I I can remember a time when I don't try to always use my my headset whether I'm in my personal vehicle, the truck, hell, even if I'm at home and I'm talking on the phone, I go crazy. It's like, "Damn, where's my headset?" cuz I hate to be encumbered by holding the phone while I'm talking to somebody. Because then I'm I'm limited from what I can do, and so I I agree, uh, and I do basically the same thing when I see somebody driving along and they they're acting stupid as they're driving, because they're they're wor swerving back and forth they're they're not paying attention they get in front of you and they slow down because they're busy trying to type a text message or or you know, dial a number or look up something. No, I, I so. agree 100%. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, so getting back to the lack of respect, uh, you know, you're saying you're in the hammer lane and you're not governed. I mean, I, I'm governed at 62 miles an hour. That's that's my top speed. I actually get shit because I am driving so slow. But you're probably doing, what, 70, 75, and yet you still got somebody on your butt. So that says it a lot but i also think and i don't i don't want to i'm going to tread lightly on this i think there's a lot of foreign truck drivers out there that are kind of they're in a class they're not a class of their own how do i put it they're in the click of their own that's the best way to put it so if you're not part of them then they don't look they kind of look at you as the outsider what do you think about that gm i think that Basically, what's happened in this industry now, because probably 30% in, uh, well, in Canada anyway, 30% uh, of the drivers that are your typical truck driver uh, is what's normal, and 70% is, is the, new, the new breed of uh, truck driver. 
Um, and I don't want to just say it's, you know, skin color or whatever. It really isn't that. It's just, it's, it's a combination of everything. It's, um, different cultures have been introduced to trucking now where, where it used to be one culture. Everybody was a, you once you're a trucker, you're a trucker. And, uh, if you're a Canadian trucker or American trucker, you, you fit into that hole. And now because of the new cultures and the new ideas and the new, uh, you know, like I was saying earlier, internets and all these other things, it's really developed, uh, you know, kind of, um, everybody's in their own little world, it seems. Anybody got anything more to add to that? Not me. Well, I, I totally agree with uh, what GM just said about that. Uh, you know, the industry is new Canadians and they do, they have like a little, and like you said, Brian there, um, it's like a little click. And if you're not in that click, they could care less about you on the road. I don't, I don't think it's, uh, I don't think it's, uh, I don't think it's anybody's trying to be bad or anything like that. I just think that it's the, the different cultures have brought, you know, um, different attitudes and, you know, you know, try being a, especially back, you know, for the new Canadians is back, try being a new Canadian in the eighties dealing with all these truckers that were calling you the P word and it was a terrible situation. So now because there's so many of them now, um they've sort of feel maybe that there's a uh a bit of a a resurgence of respect for themselves or whatever so i don't think anybody's trying to have arguments with anybody i mean i uh i i've known a lot of guys that were east indian and whatnot brown guys in in the industry we get along great uh camaraderie on the road you know blah 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 but i think that it's uh part of it is just different cultures creates uh divisions and uh sort of unexpected or even maybe expected divisions and and you just got to try to deal with it i guess there's only one last thing i want to add to that you should need to speak english to be a truck driver that a hundred percent agree with all this stuff that i don't speak english talking to the dot's i've seen that I don't agree with that. You have to speak one language, English, period. I don't care if you're Russian, East Indian, South African, Nigerian, you have to speak English. Wouldn't you guys agree? Oh, yeah. 100%. What, what if you're driving in Quebec and they only speak Quebecois? <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. The, yeah. I'm sorry, but Quebec is the other planet. It doesn't belong in Canada. Absolutely. So yeah, I'm yeah. gonna get shit for I'm gonna get shit for that. But I'm telling you, that's a weird, weird, weird yeah, place. I've always said <laughs> the, the answer to all of our problems is that we need to go to war with Quebec. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <All> right. <laughs> exactly. Who do you think who do you think helped get Trudeau in? Oh, we better stop that. Okay. <laughs> now we're on to okay. Like. Yeah. You know, Pab, I was gonna try to get I was gonna try to get Pab's take on what I said. Was that a fairly fair description, do you think, Pav? Oh we, absolutely, man. I I'm probably gonna add something like as right now the industry is all about money. You know, before it was a passion. People used to yeah. do it like as a, they, they used to say that I'm a trucker as a proud. Right now, what I'm seeing is they just want to get a job, finish it as fast as they can and have the money. They don't care in the road. They don't care to meet other people. They just want to finish, you know. 
that's what I've been saying in Vancouver. So yeah, totally agree with that, man. Absolutely. Show yeah. right? Like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I so agree. That's what I was talking about the culture, cultural differences create, oh, absolutely, create man. divisions. You know? in, in Vancouver, uh, I used to be a truck driver, uh, but I used to be the local guy, not going out of the provision. But the only thing I found there was people don't even care about standing with you and talking. You know, they just want to park their truck and leave. And I used to be like, yo, let's stand for like at least five minutes and let's talk. And they're like, nah, I done with my job. And you know, this is all about money right now. You know, before it was a passion. People used to say, oh, yeah. they are truckers. Let's talk with them. Now, now it's all done, you know? So yeah, totally agree, man. Yeah. yeah and and like I said, the, the whole shift has occurred too, because, yeah. um, you know, the culture has taken over, like probably 30%, I think their numbers are 30% of truck drivers now are of the old school truck driver, typical mm-hmm. born in Canada kind of thing. Yeah. And that used to be 90%. Now it's 30% only. Oh, yeah. The, I, I can I can see yeah this is true because I that's what I saw in Vancouver as well you know yeah yeah so it's it's interesting it's not not that anybody's right or wrong I mean we yeah. all have a right to be yeah, in yeah, Canada yeah. whatever but it just it's it it when something like that happens things happen because of it you know yeah, what absolutely. I mean absolutely everything not got like yeah it's gonna impact full like everything you know everyone gonna impact yeah. with that yeah absolutely man. I agree with that. And unfortunately, it's not always done in the name of safety. Because a lot of these companies that are now dealing with safety issues, it's all about how much money they can save on their insurance premiums. Yeah. And I I can say that. I can vouch for that. The company I work for, their safety sucks. Okay, I'm not saying the name, but uh, it it's it's terrible. It's a, it it first of all, it hinders me from driving. I'm lucky if I do 550 miles a day. Um, there's stupid lane assists uh, to hear that brr, 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 25 freaking times a day. That drives me nuts. Okay, mm-hmm. I've made it abundantly clear I'm getting my own truck here in the spring because I just don't want to deal with any of that stuff. So, um, and uh, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna take the plunge and I'm definitely getting my own truck in the spring. There's no doubt about it. Oh, yeah. So, speak about being in your face. And here is our house band, Fist, on Highway Freaks.
Yes, that was Fist. And actually, after 25 years, guys, they are making their very first concert appearance on Saturday night in Kingston um, at the Overtime uh, Bar. And uh, good for you guys, you know, up up into your 70s and you're still rocking. And uh, they uh, not only put out a new album called Alive, if you guys haven't uh, heard it, uh, check it out. But they're putting another album out in the next three weeks. So these guys are not only aggressively going after it, but they're still rocking after such a long, long time. And um, true fact, when I was 16 years old, they were the first band that uh, I lost my virginity to. So there you go. <laughs> so Okay, so is it, Aaron. Is this something you've done all for your whole life, Brian, going around up to bands and losing your virginity on a regular <laughs> basis? I'm, I'm kind of confused. No, 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 right. no. I didn't actually lose it to them. I lost oh. it <laughs> listening to the music. Thanks for clarifying, man. Thanks for clarifying. Yeah, that, we had to clarify that one. Yeah, oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So excitable, Aaron, tell us all about yourself. And uh, you just got into the industry lately. lately. You had a few foo pas with backing up. So you want to tell the freaks about that? Yeah, sure. So I started my milk program. Um, I had it, I got it done in uh, PA in uh, Saskatchewan and uh past everything except for the backup i just couldn't for the life of me i tried it three times you know spent 100 bucks each backup test couldn't get it and i was starting to feel like like i was an absolute idiot so i took pretty much like an eight month break from doing it and then i thought oh crap i better get this done within the year or i've you know wasted the ten twelve thousand dollars that we had to spend on getting my class one so i uh phoned around, found a place in Swift Current that would give me an eight-hour day lesson. It's called Advanced 1A. I'm going to give them a shout-out because, like, they saved my butt, um, made me feel like I wasn't a retard. <laughs> um, yeah, they had, like, me corrected in my backing up within, like, 30 seconds. So the biggest thing for me was uh, they had me turning to make my backup uh, about eight feet too soon. So I was always in the wrong position, always in the wrong position. Nobody told me. They'd watched me for six weeks. Um, and literally within 30 seconds, this place in Swift Current had me backing up like a bloody pro. Well, I'm yeah, I'm not a pro, but um, way better than I was doing. You know, one shot I was in. So I passed the next day. And yeah, that's my class 1A experience. It's still better than what I have to do. I went through with my class five, you know. They failed me three times for some stupid mistakes. So you did really good at that compared to me. <laughs> Seriously. Oh. Well, thank you. Like I was <laughs> it was just absolutely like I was just feeling the worst about myself. Like there's gotta be something wrong with me. Like what is wrong with me? And like why aren't aren't they giving a crap about me either? That was another <clears throat> thing. Like SGI was just like, nope, you know, like it wasn't okay, you're turning too soon, or, you know, here are some tips. There was nothing. There was, it was just like, I just needed somebody to give a crap. And in <laughs> Swift Current, they did. And, you know, without a doubt, it it paid off. And, you know, I'm a lot more confident in my backup skills. And it's not like I do it on a regular basis or anything, because, yeah. you know, my husband likes his truck. But... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Makes sense. 
Well, that, you know, Aaron, that is where life makes sense with currents. So it would make sense that you would figure <laughs> out the backup there, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> and, Good job throwing and, that in there. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, I'm I'm the host. So I, haul a, I haul a reefer, so my backup is is really important because I do it at you know so many times a day in really tight spots and big cities, Toronto, Montreal, Chicago, everywhere. So the backup for a guy hauling a reefer is, uh, or even a dry van, is so important. But in flatbed and RGN stuff, you don't have to do it quite as much, right? Yeah. The well, secret yeah, is the S curve. The S curve is the secret, right? Everybody yes. knows about the S curve. Yeah, I, yeah, absolutely. I I found that once you get a you, you after you do it so many times, I find I put myself into a feel where I'm the fifth wheel, I'm the pin, and it just it's it becomes a relationship between your not looking at your hand but just your steering wheel hand and the back of your trailer, and it just becomes a, a like a I don't know, just like one one unit or something. It's weird. You know what? A lot of the new drivers forget to do is that wonderful little saying goal right get out and look and that's where they make their mistake that's where they start jackknifing and i actually saw two uh foreign drivers back into the side of a truck a couple months back one leading the other i it was the most comical thing i i just couldn't help but be entertained by it i had to get the microwave popcorn out and i just had to watch it it was really quite entertaining so yeah, yeah. There I mean, a, seriously, if you got one leading the other, somebody's yeah, got to figure that out, right? You know, so, okay, so what else uh, uh, have you found, Darren? Um, well, like when I first started um, trucking with my husband, he pulled reefers, he did produce. Um, so I'd go with him on my days off and stuff like that. I was carried for 20 years prior to making this big life change. Um, and yeah, so we did a lot of that. And then we moved to LTL and bought our own 48 foot step deck. And we did, we got, we went everywhere. That was probably my most, our most fun time doing LTL was because you'd go down to Florida Texas I mean seen everything and you just I mean truck drivers have that opportunity and with me like my husband kept saying it gets almost like it was his first time too like because I'd get so excited over seeing something that he'd seen a million times so I brought a little bit more liveliness to the roads that you know he's been on 50 million times right so and uh I got to give a shout out to the Americans. They know how to do truck stops. We have like don't, nothing in don't Canada. Don't they though? I know. Well, like, see, we have a saying. In Canada, they're fuel stops. In the United States, they're truck stops. That is a good line. I fully agree with that. Yeah. And, and we could get into the un, undeniable truth that the Huskies have gone downhill so bad Esso's so bad. Petro Pass, don't even talk to me about them. Um, <laughs> like, they, they all suck. Honestly, I, I, being a Canadian, I actually prefer to fuel in the States. And I will sandbag it all the way to Shelby, Montana. 
to get those pilot fuel points. And, you know, they want you to fuel at those Huskies. Oh, yeah, they're a proud thing. You know, dip into the squeegee pail, and it smells like somebody puked 10 days later. It's horrible, horrible, god-awful. Don't, don't you notice that? Have you noticed that in Canada, how bad they are? I'm very poorly oh, maintained. Terrible. Like, if I was to use one of those squeegee brushes on our truck, I'd be, I'd be walking. I'll tell you that <laughs> in Canada. I mean, you just, they wash their trucks with them up there. Like they just go ahead and use it on everything. Or like you said, nothing's been changed for how long? Garbages no, are all terrible. overflowing. Yeah. Yeah. How about you, this GM? Goes, Have you found that too? This all goes back to what Pav said. Nowadays, there used to be a day where trucking was a, a, a respected, uh, you know passion where now it's just about the money so there's no real concern in the truck stops for you know making it like even internet you know some of these guys don't have phones that have internet so you'd think that every truck stop would have a good working internet they don't you know uh showers blah 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 you know it all comes back to what what Pab was saying about it's yeah. just about money anymore. It's not about the personality anymore. They just want to finish and they just want to go home. They don't care what's yeah. going on outside. Yeah, absolutely. And not only that, but it's not, it's not just the truckers. It's the, it's the truck stop owners. Yeah. The truck stop owners is just about money for them too. They don't care about whether that guy has a good experience or not, right? Oh, absolutely, man. That's what we are facing here. Same thing. They just want to hire new people. Whoever will work for them will not say anything. Yeah. And that's, that's what they're looking for. They don't care about safety. They don't care about anything. They just want you to do the job. That's it. And yeah, they absolutely. They don't care about how, how yeah. good the pail smells out front. They don't care about... And it's, it's not really... It's Again, it's not knocking anybody. It's just that the industry has allowed for those kind of, you know, shortcomings. Uh, absolutely. It, it's greed. Because if, if you've seen how many reserved parking spots are at truck stops, and yet you never see trucks there. And, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Uh, oh, by the way, here's a little trick. If it's at four in the morning, guys, you can park in a reserve. They'll never catch you. If it's before four in the morning, they'll have their, you know, their parking lot cops come out and they'll make you move. But um, some of the parking lots are just atrocious. When I was going through the duty-free, and Aaron, you probably know this one, the one in uh, North Portal, Saskatchewan, uh, the other side, Portal, North Dakota, on that duty-free, is that the most atrocious parking lot you've ever driven through? Oh, my God. It's almost as bad as uh, shit, Rosetown. Yeah, by the A&W. Have you been through that one? <laughs> oh, uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It, it's And it's unreal how they don't fill the fill-in. Like, they, yep. they expect the drivers to drive through that. And it, and when it's mud, it's even worse. You guys get stuck all the time in that one at that du duty-free. Um, there's another one in California. And it looks like they literally just opened up a field and just decided to make it a parking spot. Yeah, it's crazy. It is. But again, it's all in the name of the mighty dollar. It always comes down to the mighty dollar. And unfortunately, it's usually not in a positive, it's usually in a negative. And it usually comes to very greedy truck stop owners that they know they can get that amount. Look how much a reserve costs. You're probably paying 15 to $25 for a reserve spot. Uh, and and I, I, it just boggles my mind how many more and more reserve spots. And, and then they wonder why we can't find parking spots at night or on the East Coast by five o'clock, right, GM? 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's that definitely is an issue, and and it all comes back to what it's fu- it's kind of funny the way this the, the whole topic is kind of all leading back to the same thing is how the industry is not respectful of its uh, the ants, let's call them that that move the product. The industry is disrespecting and has disrespected the truck driver for maybe 10 reasons uh and it's got to the point now where you can't even it's the only commodity that goes backwards in 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 the world as far as rates all right okay so yeah as you're saying in the like for example right now i'm in calgary so same thing when the industry call you you have like less than like hour or two to answer them you don't answer them they don't care they have like dozen other people waiting for their call so they just yep. call anyone they have and the guy that they got always is the one who's running like super busy. So they don't care about safety or anything. They just want to, that's the kind of situation we are handling right now, you know, same in Vancouver in the moving company when I used to work there, same thing. In the beginning, it was like five, six guys who was working there all know each other. And then suddenly, bam, like 20 trucks there. No one know each other. They don't care about anything. They just want to work. You give them the work. That's it, you know, no safety, nothing. So yeah, you're right, man. The personality has left the industry. That's that's the yeah. That's what happened in Vancouver as well. We used to be like working seven days, then it cut down to five, then three, and then ended up leaving the job. You know. So yeah, I agree, man. Well, um, I guess that's enough said on that because we're probably going to get into a really rant about uh, other things that we would get into and. Well, we don't have J-Man to do that now, do we? So I'm sure his ears are burning tonight. Uh, So we will go back to another song from Fist, our house band. I have seen, I just seen a face on Highway Freaks.
Okay, so another great song by Fist, and um, we have somebody else that has just joined us. Motorhead Mark just finished his overtime hours. Uh, that's like I said, real truckers, real life. That's him. So um, he's going to get into it, and he'll also put his two cents on our, our topic that we were talking about, uh, what was going on in the industry and the lack of respect. But I want to talk about a guy named Jimmy Buffett. He just passed away. Uh, this prior uh, week, and uh, normally J-Man does the death bios. He's passed this on to me. Thanks, Jay. Um, he was a beloved singer-songwriter, and uh, he passed away at his home in Sag Harbor, Long Island, on Friday, September the 1st. And uh, he'd been fighting, actually, uh, uh, it's called Merkel Cell Skin Cancer for four years. I'll get into that and why um, it's actually quite significant uh, how he died and how he kind of lived his life. Uh, he had a, a, a recording career that spanned more than 50 years. His number one hit was Margaritaville, which we are gonna play tonight as well. And uh, it's five o'clock somewhere. He was one of the most successful performers in popular music. He filled arenas with fans who called themselves Parrot Heads, Birdman Bruce. And um, he popularized a signature blend of folk, country, and Caribbean music lyrics that often reflected uh, his world of travels. Uh, he was not only a certified pilot, he was also a sailor. He wrote songs about his plane being shot at by Jamaican police. Uh, you know, he's got lost in the Sahara Desert um and smugglers he had known in the florida gulf coast this, this guy had such an eclectic life as i researched him today i i was more appreciative and um of of, of just his amazing achievements this uh, the list goes on and on let's start first of all he was born on christmas day in 1946 in pascagoula mississippi he was raised in the port town of mobile alabama his grandfather, James Delaney Buffett, was a captain on a steamship, and his father, J.D., was in the Army Corps of Engineers before settling in Mobile. And for young Jimmy, the Gulf of Mexico was the doorway to a world of adventure. He'd heard about characters his grandfather would tell stories about. Uh, he was previously an altar boy before that, but uh, it, it's what took him off his religious course was putting that guitar in his hands. And uh, his buddy... Basically, it's kind of cool how this happened. Uh, his fraternity brother in college uh, was a guy named uh, Jerry, I believe it was Jerry Walker. And anyway, when when he was in college, he learned a few basic chords and he started playing because that was hot way to get the girls. And then his world opened up. He attended classes. He had his first band. He went from busking the streets of New Orleans to playing six nights a week at Bourbon Street clubs. After graduation, he went, headed to Nashville to work for Billboard magazine and to try his luck as a folk country singer, releasing his first record, Down to Earth, in 1970. But it was a fateful trip to Key West with his uh, buddy, Jerry Jeff Walker, in 1971, that would give Jimmy the inspiration to merge his musicality, wonderlust, and storytelling. Now, Key West in the 1970s was not the tourist-friendly town it is today. It was the last outpost of smugglers, con men, artists, and free spirits who simply couldn't run any further south in the mainland United States to escape the law. It was there that the young musician threw into the midst of a eclectic mix of true voices, a songwriter telling the stories of wandering, the adventures, and the forlorn. And in 1974, his song 
come Monday from the fourth studio album, Living and Dying in Three-Quarter Time, entered the Billboard charts, eventually peaking at number 30. Not bad for a, a newcomer, right? Eh? So in that year, though, he found himself actually touring solo acoustic and performing at well-known uh, venues that were folk venues across the country, from the Troubadour in Los Angeles to Club Passam in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And he hasn't stopped touring since. He toured well over 100 days out of 365 days of the year. Um, in 1977, his big hit, Margaritaville, and it was a laid back, uh, basically song that uh, was kind of escape in the life of the trop tropics. It spent 22 ye uh, weeks on the Billboard chart and it peaked at number eight, which catapulted him to international stardom by then. And um, which launched his business empire with the Margaritaville name, which he owned. And uh, pretty much uh, took that to so many different places, which I'll get into. Uh, he was not only that, but he was a best-selling author. He had Broadway plays, numerous movie and television appearances. Uh, he had Grammy nominations. He was in the Academy of Country Music and Country uh, Musical Association Awards, uh, which he he played with numerous country artists. I'm sure you can chime in on that, GM. Um, he was just a, pretty much a likable guy. And he could basically sit at a Caribbean beach bar and perform in front of people, or he could perform in front of 30 to 90,000 fans and just be the same guy. So, uh, yeah, there was a three three country and Western singers he played with. Wasn't that GM? Yeah, uh, there there was more. It was one. It was actually more than just the country singers. I mean, he did basically help to shape a an image of of you know like the Kenny Chesney image, which is the sand and the beach and the bare feet in the beach and you know, Alan Jackson uh, five o'clock somewhere and all that nice stuff. He he really right. took an element to music and was the one guy that that turned that genre of music into a party type you know margaritaville type uh it, it represented freedom and happiness and and good mm -hmm. times and vacations and that was an element that nobody had ever really introduced to music before very much so in fact bob dylan actually praised him uh for his singing and uh, songwriting as well. Uh, the song that he went to Paris and Death of an Unpopular Poet that reflected the observational storytelling skills that he developed in his early career as a journalist for Billboard magazine, which made him an even more successful uh, songwriter. But uh, he also wrote a handful of books. And I mean, he had other things such as the Margaritaville Hotels, restaurants, retirement communities. Uh, he had cruise lines that were actually called Margaritaville Cruise Lines. This guy was a marketer extraordinaire. Uh, he also created Landshark Beer, which is a, a his, you know, his own brand of beer. Um, Elton John, Paul McCartney, like the list goes on and on that praise this guy. I had no idea that, that he was so extensively toured uh, across the world. Um, in his personal life, he had basically married Margie Wasichuk in 1969. They divorced in 72. Then he met his second wife, uh, Janie Slegsvall, which uh, became his wife. She was a student at the University of South Carolina. 
and um, she stayed with his uh, him as uh, his wife right up to the day he died. They were married in 1977 in Aspen, Colorado, where the Eagles, for whom Buffett was uh, actually the opening act in 1975, played at their wedding. Isn't that cool? They had two daughters, radio personality Savannah Buffett and uh, filmmaker Sarah Delaney and an adopted son Cameron. And they split in the 1980s, but then they got back together and they stayed until, like I said, his death. Um, Buffett resided in a waterfront estate in Sag Harbor, New York. In 2010, he sold his house in Palm Beach, Florida for $18.5 million. He had bought the house for only $4.4 million in 1994. And then at that time, he also owned a two-unit property in the area, which he purchased in 2002 for $802,000. In 2013, he purchased another house for about $1.3 million. Like this guy had real estate coming out of his yin-yang. In May of 2015, he's also a member of the First Baptist Church of Balston Spa after buying a home in Saratoga Springs, New York. Um, he was a devoted New Orleans Saints fan, having attended the team's first game at Tulane Stadium in 1967. On April 1st, 2012, he had Saints head coach Sean Payton serve as an honorary member of the Coral Reefer Band, that's his band, at a concert in New Orleans to protest of Payton's suspension by the National Football League as a result of the New Orleans uh, Saints bounty scandal. I'm sure you guys remember that. And he was also an avid pilot. He owned a DeSalt Falcon 900 jet that he often used while on concert tours and during his travels. At various points, he also owned a Boeing Sturman, a Cessna Citation, a Lake Amphibian, a Pilatus PC-12, and a Grumman Albatross. So he owned many, many planes. Eat your heart out, John Travolta. So um, by 1999, Buffett had shifted to a more relaxed concert schedule of around 20 to 30 dates per year with infrequent back-to-back nights, preferring to play only on Tuesday, Thursdays, and Saturdays. And that way... That provided the title of his 1999 live album, and it lessened him. In 2009, this is where we come in with this Alan Jackson song, GM. It was 5 o'clock somewhere, which spent a record eight weeks atop the Hot Country song charts, and he won the 2003 Country Music Association Award for Vocal Event of the Year. His first award was in his 30-year recording career back then. Um, His album, License to Chill, released on July 13, 2004, sold 238,500 copies in its first week of release. People loved this guy. Every time he put out an album, and he probably put out about 60-plus of them, um, he... uh, he, he he made money. He, you know, people bought his, his records. In May of 2005, here's another one. He signed an agreement with Sirius Satellite Radio to broadcast Radio Margaritaville, which from its founding in 1998 was actually broadcast only online. And now the channel comes out from a place called Kissimmee, Florida, and it's uh, actually taken from the Margaritaville, Margaritaville Resort in Orlando. So... He, uh, it's just, the, the accolades just goes on and on. He was named the 10th biggest touring artist of the decade with $4.5 million in ticket sales over the previous 10 years. Uh, in November 2011, he voiced Huckleberry Finn on Mark Twain's Words and Music, a benefit for the Mark Twain Boyhood Home and Museum, which was released on Mailboat Records. Uh, he released songs um, from St. Elsewhere. Many of the songs were recorded Eden Rock, St. Bars. He uh, also was on, like I said, numerous television appearances. Jimmy Fallon, Jimmy Kimmel, uh, 
you know, Conan O'Brien. I mean, the list goes on and on. He called his music Drunken Caribbean Rock and Roll. That's how it was called. Because what it did is it combined country, rock, folk, calypso, and pop music with coastal sounds, as well as tropical lyrical themes for sounds called Gulf and Western or tropical rock. That's what his critics would call it. So he just says it's pure escapism. I'm not the first one to do it, nor shall I probably be the last. I think it's really part of the human condition that you've got to have some fun. You got to get away from whatever you do to make a living in other parts of life that stress you out. And he says, I try to make at least 50-50 fun to work and so far it's worked out. Um, musicians have cited Buffett as a mu musical influence which included Greg Fingers Taylor, a former member of the Buffett's uh, Coral Reefer Man, as well as musicians that have latched on, uh, Kenny Chesney's Alan Jackson and the Zach Brown Band. And like I said, he calls his fans parrot heads, but the kids that listen to his music, get this, they're called parakeets. How strange is that one? So um, he wrote three books. Uh, he placed on the New York Times bestseller list, Tales from Margaritaville, Where is Joe Merchant, uh, that spent over seven months on the New York Times bestseller fiction list. There really isn't anything that this guy touched that he didn't you know, turn into gold. He made cameo appearances in Repo Man, Hook, Cobb, Hoot, Congo, and From the Earth to the Moon. He also made cameo appearances as himself in Rancho Deluxe, uh, in the South Park episode, this is hilarious, Tonsil Trouble, an animated version of Jimmy Buffett, but not vo voiced by Buffett, saying AIDS Burger in Paradise and Cure Burger in Paradise. He appeared on the Sesame Street special, Elmo Palooza, singing Caribbean Amphibian with the popular Muppet Kermit the Frog. He portrayed a helicopter pilot, Frank Bama, in the seven episodes of the 2010 reboot of Hawaii Five-0. Uh, he made a cameo in the 2015 film Jurassic World, where he's actually seen holding two margaritas while the dinosaurs are set loose in the park and he's running with the two margaritas in his hand. Uh, so that was kind of kind of catchy. Uh, he, like I said, he, he there's nothing that this guy didn't didn't, didn't do. He uh, he's got uh, the Margaritaville brand, Buffett uh, licensed hotels, casinos, cruise experiences, restaurants, bars, packaged foods, beverages, spirits, outdoor furniture, home goods, appliances, apparel, accessories. I mean, his clothing line is everything from shoes to to uh, Hawaiian-style shirts to track pants for women. Uh, he got involved with Major League Baseball, where they could actually put their brand logos on his clothing, and he still made money. He owns 20, 28% of Margaritaville Resorts. He was making $616 million a year at the time of his death, just from that. Wow. Uh, he also launched Margaritaville Records with distribution through MCA Records. Uh, his deal ended in 1996, so he said, okay, the hell with you guys. I'll create my own. And in 1999, he starts Mailboat Records to release live albums. Um, just like I said, there's just nothing he hasn't done. Uh, he partnered with Resorts Casino Hotel in Atlantic City, New Jersey, to open a $35 million Jimmy Buffett Margaritaville-themed entertainment complex at the hotel, which included the restaurant with a giant blender, tiki bar, land shark bar, grill, five o'clock somewhere bar, coffee shop, retail store, gaming area. I mean, this this guy, like, hats off to him. He even had, get this, a sea creature named after him. 
Now, who do you know in the rock and roll world that has a sea creature named after him? They discovered this rare species of crustacean in 2023 called Anathia Jimmy Buffetti and is named after Jimmy Buffett. So that's pretty crazy, huh? Um, and uh, like I said, the list goes on. But he was not without controversy. This is quite bizarre. On August 25th, 1994, around 3 p.m. Eastern Time, he crashed his Grumman G44 Widgeon N147-1N while attempting to take off in the waters of Nantucket, Massachusetts. The airplane nosedived, and Buffett was actually able to swim to safety, sustaining only major, minor injuries. On February 4th, 2001, he was ejected from the American Airlines Arena in Miami during a basketball game between the Miami Heat and the New York Knicks for cursing. The referee who ejected Buffett apparently did not who he was, and he got upset at the Heat coach, Pat Riley, because he thought Riley, who was trying to explain to him who Buffett was, was insulting him, calling him a parrot head. And that's the nickname he used for his fans, right? On October 6, 2006, he was detained by French custom officials in St. Tropez for allegedly carrying over 100 pills of ecstasy. Buffett's luggage was searched after his Dassault Falcon 900 private jet landed on Toulon Hare's International Airport. He paid a fine of $300 and was released. A spokesperson for Buffett stated the pills in question were actually prescription drugs, but declined to name the drug or the health problem for which he was being treated. He was released uh, shortly thereafter, but the, the ecstasy was not actually the bad ecstasy. It was, in fact, a B vitamin supplement known as Foltox. So he actually got away with that, and, and rightly so, because it wasn't actually illegal. Uh, on January 26, 2011, he was performing a concert in Australia at Sun Sydney's Hordern Pavilion. He fell off the stage. He was accused of being drunk, okay, um, but he, he didn't. It was just, just one of those freak accidents. He regained consciousness within a few minutes and was then transported to St. Vincent's Hospital for treatment. He's discharged and then returns to Australia. Uh, in 2012 for two shows in Brisbane and Melbourne and makes a fun, uh, you know, fun of the incident during the shows. And uh, yet, uh, uh, again, just, just a class act. Um, he spoke at the University of Miami's graduation ceremony. He reserved an honorary doctorate in music. He was wearing flip-flops and aviator sunglasses. And here's what he tells the graduates. I love this. He goes, it's time to see the world, time to kiss a girl, and time to cross the wild meridian. Get out, enjoy life. By 2017, Buffett's diet did not include sugar or carbohydrates, except on Sundays, and he no longer smoked marijuana, but he actually got involved with cannabis, so um, uh, medical, uh, medicinal cannabis, and uh, he, uh, he was involved with that too. He's a big supporter of the Democratic Party. He sang in Florida for Bill Clinton back in 1992, so he was campaigning for them as well. I mean, like I said, the list just goes on and on. Um, how much money did he make from Margaritaville, you ask? From basically the success of the 1977 song Margaritaville, which spent 22 weeks on the Billboard chart at the time, and it's five, five o'clock somewhere, and son of a sailor, he earned an estimated $570 million just from touring and recording. So... Uh, like I said, everything this guy touched was was like gold. So, um, yes, yes, Bandit, we heard you. So, uh, his annual income 
basically at uh, back at that time was $40 million. His revenue sources extended far beyond a musician's typical business model. Um, he was landed at number 18 on Forbes list of the richest celebrities in the world. So there's, like I said, there's nothing much he, he didn't do. Now, as far as his death goes, Merkel cell carcinoma is a super aggressive, very rare type of skin cancer that develops in the lower level of the skin cells called the basal layer. The basal cells, which are part of the Merkel cells, sends the signals up to the brain. Less than 30,000 cases per year in the US, uh, which is uh, very common in fair-skinned men, and less, what it works out to is one in 150,000 people actually get it. And it first appears as a red bump or purple or pink in color. It can resemble a cyst as well, and then it grows quite rapidly. Uh, it can look like an ugly rash. Uh, and then, of course, you make a trip to the doctor. The key is early diagnosis. Unfortunately, because Jimmy Buffett was in such tropical climate 90% of the time, inevitably, that's what led to what's killed him. Because uh, uh, a lot of the times he wasn't wearing, uh, you know, skin blockers and and sunscreen and stuff, and um, that's actually what inevitably did him in. It's, it's kind of ironic that he, you know, he loved he loved the Caribbean, but in the end, that's really what uh, contributed to his death. So, anybody got anything to add to Jimmy Buffett or anything that that know, they know more of that I missed? There's not too many um, singer songwriters that made it into the world of being a billionaire. And Jimmy Buffett did, even though the the average guy or the average person around knows of Jimmy Buffett through his music. Um, so they consider him a musician. Like you say, Brian, he was a businessman. And because of all of that, and because of him being such an entrepreneur, um, he made it into the billion dollar club and built billionaire club i should say and in in with that i mean there's just very few uh, musicians that made it there paul mccartney is one but i believe jimmy buffett was um his uh gross value was higher than that of paul mccartney so here's a guy who um didn't go out and didn't go out and tour like you say as much as other entertainers did but he certainly found a way to put the money in the right places and make himself a small empire or almost, well, actually a large empire. And, and he helped so many like that, and like all those hurricanes on the, uh, you know, the Florida coast and the Caribbean coast, he was completely involved in that. Like he was doing benefit concerts and he made no money. He donated all that money to all those hurricanes, uh, you know, for the relief funds and stuff. So, um, like, just an amazing human being. Absolutely amazing human being. Uh, and the, here's the crazy thing, Mark. He made Margaritaville in six minutes. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So, like, the guy, he had such a talent for songwriting. When I was going through his stuff today and I was reading the lyrics, like, my God, that guy could write music. Wow, like unbelievable. Uh, and I guess that stems from him being a journalist at that, you know, Billboard magazine originally, but what an amazing life. And I'm hoping Hollywood takes notice of this and we get a, we get a really good movie on Jimmy Buffett. Cause I'm telling you, you know, you can have the Freddie Mercury's out there. You can have the Elton John's, but this movie, 
this movie would be Oscar worthy if they had the if they did it right. Okay. I think um, so. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You know, I I know what the title would be, Margaritaville, of course, right? Sure. You know. Yep. Abs. Yeah, for sure. So that's just a little bit about Jimmy Buffett. Anybody else got anything to add? Uh, GM, you're a singer. I mean, what do you, what'd you think of him? Did, did you, uh, you know, did, was some of his music in, in yours? I think that I, uh, I, did, I never really had that kind of a, a gig, you know, because I was in trucks. So the last thing you want to do in trucking music is talk about alcohol, right? <laughs> It's probably not the smartest thing in the world to write about. So it was kind of a different, different vein, I guess, for me. But I mean, I enjoyed the the fun of his of his music, and I enjoyed his influences. But you know, um, he was kind of the the step forward after the Beach Boys because they kind of introduced that whole beach thing, right? Or Frank Yavalon and some of those other guys. But he kind of took it to a new level. Anybody else want to add anything? How about you, Aaron? Do you know anything about Jimmy Buffett? Did you like his music? I didn't mind his music. Um, wasn't a huge fan. Just not my type of country, if that's what you call it, or rock. But um, yeah, I like. I know his know his music, but I was never a huge fan. But that uh, obit you did was really really interesting to hear all about his life and what he'd accomplished. Okay. Okay, well, you know, different strokes for different folks. How about you there, Birdman? Did you like Jimmy Buffett's music? Well, I always did, and Terry likes it himself, but he's a true parrothead. I'll bet he is. (laughs) No doubt. All right. Well, there you go. So that's uh, the life and times of of Jimmy Buffett, and uh, I hope it does come to a theater near you real soon, because I think that'd be a great... I would see that in a minute, absolutely. Nibbling on sponge cake Watching the sun bake All of those tourists covered with oil Drumming my six string on my front porch swing. Smell those shrimp, they're beginning to boil. Wasting away again in Margarita Searching for my lost sugar sauce. But this brand new tattoo But it's a real beauty A Mexican cutie How it got here I haven't a clue Wasting away again In Margarita Bay 
flip-flop Stepped on a pop-top Cut my heel, had to cruise on back home But there's booze in the blender And soon it will render That frozen concoction that helps me hang on Wasting away again in Margaritaville Searching for Thank you guys for being patient enough to have me come on board tonight. Um, like Brian has been talking about fist this evening, after a very long hiatus, they are actually going to come out and do uh, a concert in Ontario this Saturday night. Brian can fill in exactly where they're going to be doing that, but uh, I think it's pretty amazing for a group that's been together as long as they have to come back out and present their music again. I think it's phenomenal. I think that's really, really great. Um, you guys have been talking about trucking and how it, it's funny, it, it kind of fell right into what I wanted to talk about tonight. I work for a corporation and um, I don't really want to mention the name this evening, but they are how can I put it? They are conscious of the environment. We'll just say that. And uh, I've been trucking since 1987. I've worked for various different outfits over the years and decades. And recently, and when I say recently, I mean two years ago, I healed up from a broken neck and got on board with this company. And at first, I thought I made a great decision. I thought this is the place where I, I feel comfortable landing and maybe I can finish my career here. And as of late, the, 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 the big corporation, the big sharks in this industry are really starting to not just disappoint me, but they're starting to show their true colors and they're not team players. They're not, uh, they're not the corporation that you think, oh, I can't wait to go there. They're going to treat us so well. They're going to pay us well. They're going to, we're going to have great benefits. We're going to have all these wonderful accolades and all these wonderful um, perks of being with a big company. And now I've realized I've, I've quite possibly have made a very large mistake. 
it's unfortunate. I really feel good about the work that I do. I feel good getting behind the wheel of the truck every morning. Um, I love doing my pre-trip and even if I just find a little something, I, I put it down and I know that I can take it to the mechanics and they log it and, and we're, we're often running to keeping these trucks maintained and that's not the case. This company, the, their, their big thing is the money. Their big thing is go to that site and do what you're supposed to do. Go to that site and do what you're supposed to do. Not our safety, not our well-being, not the the good condition of the trucks. Our trucks are breaking down. We just had five go down in one day in our particular facility. And unfortunately, I hate to say it, but the manager started getting a hold of the mechanics and saying, hey, I need the truck. Hey, I need the truck. Hey, give me a truck. And it wasn't, well, let us know when the trucks are fixed. It was, how can you band-aid that truck so that I can have it back on the road? I don't care if other stuff is broken. I don't care if other stuff is needing to be fixed. Whatever it takes, get it back on the road. And, you know, forget about the list. Just find out what is the most significant and bring it back out onto the street. And that's starting to put people's lives at risk. I don't like it. I don't think it's right. I, I'm, I'm struggling. I really am struggling keeping my, my uh, lips sealed, biting my tongue, whatever you want to call it. It's becoming an atrocity to seeing this corporation that is so visible across North America failing, absolutely failing in their identity, they're failing in their business program, they're failing in the day-to-day runnings of each of our yards, they're failing in the upkeep of their fleet, they're doing a terrible job. And I, I, I just don't know how much longer I can hold on. I don't know how much longer I can keep my mouth shut. I wasn't going to say anything tonight, but as soon as you said tonight, Brian, that you guys were talking about the industry, I knew I had to pipe up and say something. And you Don't know, I can the, so the relate shiny... to this, buddy. You know, I can so relate to this. Yeah. You know what I, I go do. through. I know, man. Yeah, I do. I mean, look at the hours I've been putting in. And I've been telling them I can't keep working 14, 15, 16 hours a day. I can't do it. I'm burning out. And, you know, I mean, Long haul, sure, you work long days, but there's a particular time you got to shut it down. End of story. You have to park your truck. Not so much here. And it, 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 it's sad. It absolutely shines a light on them that is not a good color. It's not a good program. It's not a good, um, it doesn't show good safety protocols. It doesn't show that this company is looking out for their drivers. It doesn't show that they're looking out for um, anybody else's well-being, but the big old mighty dollar. Need the truck, need the truck, need the truck. Get that done, get that done, get that done. And our fleet's falling apart. Our drivers are so unhappy and disappointed. And it's doing nothing but getting worse and worse and worse. And quite honestly, everybody, I when I'm ready to pull the pin, 
I'll come back on. I'll explain what happened. And uh, I'll even share the identity of this unfortunate, <laughs> unfortunate well, driver and, and the, dealing and with that's this. That's completely up to you. That's completely yep. up to you because, you know, I, I'm in the same boat as you. Uh, I had a, a real love affair for the company I work for, and I don't share that at all. Um, there's yep. truly only one reason that I'm doing what I'm doing with this company, and that's for the sake of visiting my mother in Ontario. I've said that to you repeatedly, okay? Yep. Um, I've made it abundantly clear that I'm going to have my own truck, and I'm going to be basically in control of my own destiny, uh, you know, in the future. But uh, I can so relate. But you, so you're not on the e-logs? Oh, we are. Okay. Yeah, so we're, on must, e-logs. we're on e-logs. We're on e-logs. You must be pushing the limit from what you're telling me. Every day. I'm, Every wow. single day we push our limit. Yep. Yeah. I know yeah. that, you know, with our, with our e-logs here in British Columbia, we have, uh, we can drive for 13, work for one more to make it 14, and we have a 16-hour window to get all that done. And Nice. Wow. There's a, hand, nice. there's a handful of our drivers that are doing exactly that. I was sitting in my uh, boss's office uh, a couple of days ago. I had my e-log sitting on the counter. I had just gotten out of my truck. I walked into his office and my e-log screamed at me, warning of violation. Like I was that close. I literally walk, got out of the truck and walked in the office and I was out. Not, a, yeah. no, I didn't have one second left. Wow. And, <laughs> you know, I don't mind putting in a good hard day. I don't mind working my butt off out there, but when they screw up your pay, they deny you um, some of the accolades of your benefits. Right. They they lie to you about what's happening with vehicles that are supposed to be coming. And all they do is they push, 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 push. I got nothing left, man. I got nothing yeah. left. And I don't know what yeah. to do anymore. Yeah. I just don't know. Anyways, that's that's my time, guys. That's my time. Anybody got anything to add to that on, on Mark's topic? Because it's, it's very relevant tonight. Uh, we worked for a larger company in Manitoba, and uh, you were just a number. And it was really eye-opening. So we started working for smaller companies. Now we work for a small company. And, you know, your boss knows your name. There's four of us. Um, it makes a huge difference in morale when you feel like you're being heard. You feel like you can call your boss at any time. You feel like, uh, you know, that they they know that you have knowledge when to stop, when you want to go. Uh, you know, just the smaller companies in general, I find, yes, sometimes freight's not the greatest. But, you know, sometimes you can get lucky with a small company. And... You know the the benefits outweigh all that other bureaucratic crap of the big companies. That's my, right. my opinion. You know, Brian, you say you were talking about the industry and that the, the camaraderie is not there anymore. One of the things I used to really like when I drove at nighttime or early in the morning was running down the road, seeing a brother trucker coming. You could see his big uh, the lights up above the cab. Give him a little flash and he give you a little flash back. I can't remember the last time 
another trucker flashed me back. And I don't want to get into who, what, or where, but that brotherhood is fading away. And it's super, super unfortunate. So anyways, folks, I've uh, I got to beat the feet. I got to get out of here. I love you guys. Thank you so much for letting me join in this evening. I appreciate you all. And Brian, thanks for suggesting that I hop in here and have a couple minutes with everybody. Well, I, I think your your input's valuable. And I think it's, like I said, it's extremely relevant to what we're talking about tonight because uh, there is certainly a real disconnect out there. I agree with you. And uh, thank you, Mark. And we're looking forward to having you on more often now that your racing is uh, coming to a close. And uh, yeah, we'll have Motorhead Mark on more often with more different topics. So yeah, take off, buddy. Go enjoy your time with your lady and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Okay, great topic, Motorhead Mark. And uh, we are gonna go to another break with Fist any way you want it.
Hey, LA Freaks, this is GM Blacktop. Um, <clears throat> glad to be here. Always great to be here with Bry Guy and everybody else. So thanks a lot for having me again. Uh, tonight, I want to really talk about uh, is uh, what I want to talk about is about the trucking industry in the sense that there's very few industries that go backwards. Um, and when I mean backwards, I mean economically backwards. Um, whether it's, you know, the medical industry or whatever, they always continually push forward, push forward, push forward. And with trucking, it seems, because there's an end user involved on commodities, whether it be food or cars or whatever, furniture, clothes, whatever, because there's an end user and because things are more expensive, they don't want the end user to have to spend too much more money so they have to find a way to keep that dollar hidden or or going backwards on itself. And where do they take it out? They take it out of the truck driving. For some reason, because truckers are not lawyers that are all, you know, uh, graduates of universities and this kind of thing, they have been continually dropping or, you know, I don't know about dropping the rates, but at least keeping them the same. When you have fuel that's five times as expensive or four times as it was 10 years ago, yet rates have not increased, that should be a common sense telltale that that in industry is playing games with itself. There's no, I can't think of another industry that does that. Increase the, the value of doing that business, cost of trucks, repairs, uh, fuel, uh, every everything that goes with trucks increase that by sometimes five or ten fold and not raise the rates that that to me is a phenomenon that i don't think another industry shares now a farmer might say the same thing but i don't know if it's quite as bad as trucking i think farming rates are, are not as good as they could be and it's for the same reason the end user won't buy the product if it's too expensive so they have to find a way to make somebody else pay for it and unfortunately the truck driving industry is the recipient of that and it's a terrible thing and uh i don't know why society has let it happen uh other than the fact that when it really comes right down to it society doesn't want to pay you know, $100 for a pair of jeans or $200 for a pair of jeans. So they're okay with the trucker taking it on the chin. And then, of course, when the trucker tries to, you know, organize through unions or whatever the case may be to stand for themselves, you have 30 other trucking companies that are coming and say, we'll do it cheaper, we'll do it cheaper, we'll do it cheaper. It's it's kind of a, an industry that's completely backwards and, and completely astonishing that they're allowing, you know, like I said, costs to go up by sometimes tenfold and rates to not go up at all. We get rates now that we have seen in, you know, early 2000s, 2005, you know, sometimes in the 80s and the 90s guys were making more money than they're making now and and fuel was 95 cents a gallon. So it it really is an amazing thing that I think any truck driver is concerned about it. Um I'm not quite sure the answer, but from the reason of why it happens, I think it's because it's the end user, the people buying the end product, know that if they allow these rates to go up, they're going to pay more at, at the Walmart, and that nobody wants that.
So I'd like to hear everybody else's comments on this, if possible. Yeah, man, the same thing that I was like saying before, as you said, if whenever one guy want to go for a like strike or something like that, there's like 20 other companies waiting for their turn and they'll provide the cheaper rates. Yep, same thing happening everywhere. And I'm totally agree with that. I think that's where the company should get together, you know, instead of like try to get others job, they should all be like together and like talk about the price and stuff instead of like grabbing other job, giving the cheaper price and stuff. So that's where everything is happening. I don't think there's any solution for that, but yep, that that is what really happening right now in the market. So totally agreed. I agree I with a... with with Pav. Go ahead, Aaron. <laughs> I was just gonna say it, and you know, it doesn't help with the load brokers taking a piece of, uh, you know, the money from the truckers. So one load broker takes it, says, "Yeah, I'm gonna have you know these guys do it." Oh, they don't have enough trucks. Then they piece it off to another load broker who takes another piece of the pie and then another load broker takes another piece of the pie and then when it comes down to the trucker you're looking at you're making a, a buck 25 a mile and you know the load brokers are getting rich and the truckers are getting poor and they're the ones that are you know putting on the miles on their trucks the ones that are doing the maintenance it's disheartening to see absolutely yeah. we're doing all the work yeah when they provide the cheap rates they don't like remove that from their pocket they remove it from the driver's pocket you know they're still getting the same thing but the drivers are the one who are getting less and less every time you know so yeah we are the one who's getting the, re the reason i bring the topic up because like we already know what the problems are we we know how the driver gets nailed on a regular basis but i think the the reason i brought the topic up is i think we need to understand why why and we all know their reason is because of money and greed, but there's a deeper reason than that. And that's why. And that is because society needs to have somebody be the scapegoat in order to keep prices in line, because it's inevitable that prices go up in costs of labor, costs of this, costs of that. That's inevitable. So I think it's almost like the, the call it the government or the politics or whatever, they it's like the conquer and divide. They want the companies to be at each other's throats. They want the cultures to be at each other's throats because by dividing the cultures in trucking, you maintain more power at the top. And if you can keep all these guys fighting over loads, then you'll never have a problem with getting things done cheaper. And I think that's the sad part about what's going on. It's no different than race. They want, they, they, they divide and conquer. And because the truckers now, especially now, are really of, of different cultures, it's almost like they pin one against the other so that they can keep prices down. Because if the prices go up, they're going to lose their, their commodity. They're going to lose their customers, uh, their grocery stores or whatever the case may be. So that's, I think, the reason I brought the topic up, not to, not to you, know, you know, complain so much about why it's happening or not to complain about what is happening but complain as to why it's happening and i think that that's the the real the real crux of what's going on here is we need to find out why it's happening and really do an in-depth study as to why it's happening i i agree but then then you're talking about people banding together for the sake of unions i don't want to use that word but let's just call them a membership of sorts and you know 
the higher powers that make the bigger bucks are going to prevent that. And that's why we're sitting at 43 cents a mile for a company driver starting wage. I mean, I consider myself lucky that I make more than that. But I could tell you, if you want to go to another company tomorrow, you can't do that. And I'll tell you something else. All these trucking companies now are, it used to be called open board trucking, GM, where you know you could go anywhere in the States. That's what I signed up for as a truck driver in the beginning, to go anywhere. And very few companies allow you to do that now. You have these regional runs, like as a good example, Challenger, okay? Big outfit in Ontario. Everybody used to go from Calgary to Ontario to Challenger. You know what they do now? They have the BC and they have the Alberta, they only get to go to California, Texas, and Arizona. That's it. That's it. You can't even go to Ontario, and the company's actually based out of Ontario. Is that not the craziest thing you've ever heard? Okay. Um, that's, that's what's happening here in trucking. They're, 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 it's called streamlining. They're streamlining all their divisions, and they're saving a lot of money by doing that, right? And again, it all comes down to how much money we can save. The pandemic did no, no, absolutely no favors for trucking. And in fact, we were the ones that were looked upon who had the COVID. We won't get into that topic, but... Uh, it certainly was kind of hilarious when we were using outhouses and the back of, uh, you know, uh, fences and yards to, to go do our business because they thought that COVID lived in the bathrooms. The truck drivers were the ones that were responsible for it. So it's, it's a very strange world that we have now, and it's not for the better. Unfortunately, it seems to be a paranoid world that we have as well. And we have two idiots running uh, both countries, and uh, I blame them 100% for, for, for this stuff. So anybody else have input on that? I know we're getting a little political. I don't want to go down that road, but um, we're sticking to GM's topic. Anybody have anything to add? Aaron, how about you? Yeah, oh, I agree with you saying, you know, it's with through COVID, that was an absolutely horrendous situation i felt sorry for my husband every time he came home i made sure that you know he had uh proper home-cooked hot meals like every day and breakfast lunch and dinner because you just missed that out on the road you know he just you were you were like the plague when you were a truck driver during COVID. it was absolutely horrendous um yeah sorry i lost my train of thought there <laughs> Well, I, I was just going to add that, you know, again, the reason I brought the topic up was we need to find out why. And I think I, I think I might know why, because if you sit down across the table from anybody, I don't care if they're your parent or your family member or your friends or your political allies or your political enemies or whoever or this culture or that culture. The bottom line is, if you sat down everybody and said, okay, this trucking industry has gone through the roof because of the world's condition with fuel, I need you to agree that you'll spend $10 a gallon for milk. And I need you to agree that you'll spend, you know, $8 for a loaf of bread. And I guarantee you, each and every person, whether they're family or not, would look at your eyes and say, you got your damn mind. <laughs> That's never going to happen. So what the politicians, because they have to get elected, they say somebody's got to pay for this shit. Well, the dumb truck driver who doesn't have a college degree, the blue collar guy, 
they we we just got to keep them separated so that they can't get enough strength to to fight this crisis and unfortunately it works because unfortunately most truck drivers are not college graduates or university graduates and they're very skilled in what they do but when it comes down to it it's a blue collar job that's that's i believe where it is at and even our families wouldn't pay ten dollars a gallon for milk yep. i mean we all know it's coming that it's going to be that you know that it'll come to ten dollars a gallon but guaranteed they the rates aren't still going to go up you know the the cost of living is just going to keep skyrocketing and we'll still be making crap for rates that's, you know, that's my point that's yeah. my point. Yeah. It has to say that it, in order for the world to work, they have to pull the legs out of somebody's chair and they have yeah. to pull it out of our chair and, and they can't pull it out of the end user's chair. They certainly don't want to pull it out of the chair of the white collars making all the money. So they have to pull it out of the dumb truck driver's chair who doesn't have anything else that he can do because it's either drive a truck or go drive a bobcat or go work at Walmart. They don't have you know, fancy careers. Um, it's it's sad, but it's the way it is. But when we when we ask ourselves who's to blame, it's everybody's to blame, even our own families, because our own families would would say, "I'm not paying ten dollars for a gallon. You're just gonna have to take the hit, there, buddy." That's that's what the real attitude is. Yes, I agree with you there. There's a saying. There's a saying, and the saying goes like this. It takes a town to move a village. It takes a village to move a city. Unfortunately, we as truck drivers, we are the town that's trying to move the village. And until we all get together on the same page, like it's, if we just shut down one for one hour, for one hour, everybody, all truck drivers in North America, for one hour and one day, we cripple the economy and we would be in power. But nobody can get together on that because the old saying you know that you, you take you know five truck drivers and and your truck stop and they're telling the same story by the same by the time the fifth truck driver gets the story it is so out of it's so convoluted and so unreal where you started you know i say you know hey the dog got hit on the road and by the time the fifth one comes it's the do the dog got uh, hit on the road by a milk truck that was a flat was hitting a flatbed like it's just ridiculous right and that's unfortunately what happens with us truck drivers we we literally get beaten down so bad and we just take it we just take the rates we take all of it and nobody has got the balls to stand up i mean they tried to do it in ottawa with the convoy okay they did it the wrong way i support what they did but they did it absolutely the wrong way and it just became a farce and then you had that 10 percent that ruined it for everybody so um you know i think what we need well, to why do did they, did they did it because they were fed up with nobody having the balls to do it but what did the government do they made them a, a, a glaring point to say anybody that is going to try to do this again, prepare to go to jail, prepare to lose your truck, prepare yep. to lose your bank accounts. So yep. again, it comes right down to it comes right down to the deterrency of trying to get people together. You must they must keep us divided in order to make this allowable. And unfortunately, yeah. we're we're, and I don't mean to sound like we're victims, but we're we're um, 
we're just one of those industries that goes backwards rather than forwards. And other than farmers, I can't think of another industry that does that. Yeah. And but it's, even, it's, it's a, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> but even farmers, I mean, like, you know, they've got, they can usually have purple fuel. So they have cheaper fuel. They've got farm plates. They've got a lot more allowances. Hmm. And, and, you know, what you said, Fry Guy, about, um, you know, if we just shut down for one hour, um, you know, my husband, he says that all the time. And you talk to any trucker and every trucker, and just like all of us on here are on the same page, you know, like if we could just come together, like the convoy did, you know, like, but like you also said, GM, that, uh, you know, you just become a political um, pawn. If you do, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. Like the, the government, is just trying to wreck every single one of those that stood up, you know, and it's, and you it don't becomes, even have the support of your company. You yeah, don't even have the support of your company because they, they're they the ones that are going to lose all their, their big accounts if your drivers screw them up. So they're not going to support the driver to shut down. So you see, it's an industry that, that is, is completely damned if you do, damned if you don't. And unfortunately, the, the vast majority of the public it's kind of like the guy that watches a woman get raped or beaten and turn the other way. The public is turning the other way because they don't want to deal with the fact that they don't, they can't afford to go spend $10 for milk in the store, which is what they should be doing when the price of fuel is eight or nine bucks a gallon to get the stuff there. But they turn a blind eye because they don't want to have to have it affect them. 100% exactly. agree. It is, yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, this, uh, I guess Birdman had to uh, do a load in the morning. So he's left us again, uh, real truckers, real life. That's us highway freaks. So um, I guess if any more to add to that, anybody, uh, GM, Aaron, Pav? Well, I just think that, you know, I'm sorry, Pav. I I just think that the, I just think that, that everybody has to wake up to the responsibility of understanding that, Everybody always says, oh, poor truckers, poor truckers, poor truckers, poor truckers. But I I can't emphasize enough. It's poor truckers, but it's like, just don't bring those prices to my doorstep. So, unfortunately, the world is set up to um, sort of service, like, service yourself. Like, you'll you'll let your your brother-in-law or your your sister or your 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 son or whatever go downhill with their truck because that's what they chose to do and and that's the other thing is that we chose to do it is we're not being forced to uh but you'll let them go down because you don't want that heartache on your in your wallet when it comes to prices of fuel causing the rates of product to go up by four times you know, and so you, you you turn a blind eye, and that's the real issue here. And this is why I brought the subject up. It's not about the you know complaining about the conditions of trucking. It's about why is it happening. And this is a what I think everybody needs to understand is the the economists of the world have to say, people, this is why this is happening, and populations, this is why this is happening, and you know companies, this is why this is happening. Not that it is happening. We already know it's happening. We need to know why it's happening. Yeah. Well, here we are. We're we're sitting at, uh, you know, we're sitting at eight dollars for two liters of milk. 
okay, or four liters of milk in, in Canada. We're sitting at bread over $2 a loaf. Um, you know, the grocery stores, uh, in my opinion, are all together, uh, you know, kind of, I think their conspiracy uh, is to uh, literally um, break one another. But I think in a, on the same token, they probably sit in a room and they go, okay, guys, okay, you're from Sobeys, you're from uh, Super uh, So-and-So, you're from Extra Foods. Uh, how can, what, what can we raise this week that they're, they're going to have to pay, right? And those necessity foods, if you notice, are the ones that usually go up. The other ones aren't the ones that are going up so much. It's the ones that we have to actually have. We can't be without. Have you noticed that? Yeah, but you're still talking about apples and oranges in the sense that we're talking about fuel that has gone up four times its own value in the last 15 years. And so and nobody's fault. So who fault? Whose fault is that? Where where's the fault lie with the fuel? Uh, I think that probably lies the fact that we have a government that supports the Saudis, and yet we could refine our own stuff right here and be cheaper. So, in my opinion, that fault lies with the guy that runs our country. I agree, except that the except Absolutely. that the voters, yep, except that the voters, they don't want their their food prices to go up by four by fourfold either. So they kind of turn a blind eye to the fact that these truckers are, are getting hit with these bombs of, of despair. Yes, Because we're the on ones the buying the fuel. Yes, it's hard on the truckers too, but you see like uh, Vancouver, it's what, $2.30 for regular gas out there? I mean, oh, yeah. yeah, I can't even imagine filling up a tank of diesel. But you know, the everyday person is starting to really feel the struggle i mean yes we feel it a heck of a lot more because we buy a heck of a lot more and we buy diesel which is always more expensive unless you're down in the states but even then it's you know pretty much more expensive but yeah like i can't believe that people are able to afford even a tank of gas in in bc in general if they fix the problem with the truckers it would collapse the economy, right? That's there's the bottom line. Yeah. If they fixed us up, it would collapse the economy and the world would not be able to sustain it. So that's why this is happening. They can't fix it because if they fix it, they collapse the economy. Because they can't we can't give these guys more money because it will collapse the economy. So what do we got to do? We just got to keep them shut up and divided. Yeah. Very true. But then again, let's think about it. We need to change leadership in both countries to make some sort of change. So that's where it starts. And I, I truly believe that. I think we got two morons running North America. I'll say it once and I'll say it again. And we don't need another moron to come back in office. Okay. Of the same, uh, of the same ilk. Uh, we need some new blood that has uh, support for the trucking industry. And, um, Hopefully, we'll find that very soon. But again, it comes right down to support for the truck. And see, this is what I'm, I can't, I, I know I sound like a broken record, but even a guy that supports the trucking industry, if he supports the trucking industry and starts giving the truckers more money, he's going to collapse the economy. You see my point? <laughs> what do you think about the load break brokers not getting as many, um, 
as much of a percentage. You know, when six load brokers have one load, you know, that just decreases yeah. it so much for the for the trucker. So maybe they need to make a law that says if you can't take that load, load broker, don't take it and then pass it on to somebody that has enough trucks. So there's that those truckers are gonna get the actual yeah, rate probably, rather than probably yeah. They they can probably do things within the industry to make sure the trucker gets a higher fuel percentage or whatever the case may be. They can do that. But then you've got the ELD issue that I'm pretty sure that was just designed as a uh, as a, some sort of a get to get everybody sidetracked with other with other problems. But uh, so they can do things like that. But they can't just make food in the stores and clothes in the stores and cars and furniture and this and that. They can't just make everything four times as much because that's what fuel did. So what they do is they have to, like I said, they'll collapse the economy if they do that. It's 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 a it's a bigger problem than just the trucking industry. And I'm not sticking up for the guys that are making the decisions. I think that it's terrible what they're doing, but that's why I believe that's why they're doing it because they can't they can't change it. It'll collapse the economy. <laughs> think about it. We're spending nine dollars a goddamn gallon for fuel. A what do you got to what do you got to add to this there power pav before we finish this topic um man i as gm already said it's not about like the lack of information everyone knows what's happening but no one want to be the part of that as he said no one want to pay more for that you know everyone right. understands like the drivers are suffering they know that thing when you talk with them they say oh yeah the trucking industry is bad but when you talk about the solution everyone has their mouth shut you know they don't want to be a part of that they say, okay, keep right. it with up to you. So yeah, there's nothing we can like be, like explain to people. They already know everything. So yeah, totally agree with GM, man. You bring you bring a politician in that's going to help the industry. What's he going to do? He's going to make our our rates go up twice as high so that we can Absolutely. pay for the fuel. <laughs> nothing. And then they, what's going to happen? They will, what's going to happen then? The collapse of the economy. Yeah, there's nothing like that's what they plan, you know, so that there will be no like savior for us so yeah they did it really good and we are suffering with that man absolutely yeah i agree i, I really hate to sound negative but it is a no win for the truckers absolutely, it is a yeah. no win there's nothing we can well, do for that absolutely. and if you go to and if you go to any of these big companies and you you know you, you share your concerns like you know uh, as a good example i could share my concern about the lane assist okay that i have an issue with and you know what they say they're going to say one, two, three words. I don't care.
Okay, so uh, the last part of our Highway Freaks number, visit number 45 tonight, by the way, will be our pylon shoutouts. And uh, we usually have red, blue, and black. Red for a woman, blue for a guy, and black for someone that just ticked you off. And if you want to put names, you can. If you don't, that's up to you as well. So, Aaron, we're going to put you on the spot. What pylon shout-out would you love to give tonight? I'm going to give a blue pylon, sh pylon shout-out. Um, say that five times. Uh, to my boss, Chris Berber, and a red pylon shout-out to Tamara Leach. And another blue one for my hubby for tolerating me. And uh, a black one for Trudeau, because why not? Yeah. Right. But look at that. She's 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 got her guns loaded for the pylons. Yeah, uh, right on. Okay. What about you, GM? Well, red pylon goes to uh, always goes to uh, the girl that keeps me on track. Uh, she knows who she is. And uh, the the blue is going to go to uh, a guy named uh, Cause, who's uh, with uh, Music Mafia Radio, who's um, allowed me to get a couple of my songs in his station, and uh, I'm charting with one of them, which is great. So blue goes to Cause, and the black goes to anybody that that steps on somebody else and tries to drive somebody down for their own benefit, and it kind of goes in tune with what we're talking about with this whole trucking thing. So that's where it was, and it was great being with everybody tonight too. So thanks so much. We'll call this the doom and gloom yeah. <laughs> number 45 podcast. How about you, yeah. Pav? What, any pylons? Uh, for me, I guess I'll give the red one to my sister, Love, because I've been living with her for this week, uh, and I'm enjoying the food that she cooked, because living alone, you don't want to cook, and I'm always eating outside, so yep, she's a really good cook. Uh, blue one goes to my one of my friends, Kushmeet. Because last three, four days when I was off, we spent time watching movies and have fun. And I don't think I have any black one because this week is going really good. Hopefully it will go like that, but we'll see. Okay. Um, I only really have one, and that's uh, red for uh, our, our newest uh, debut, Excitable Aaron. Um, loved having you on tonight. Uh, loved your input. I think you're going to be a great addition to Highway Freaks, and we look forward to hearing more of it. And I can't wait till you take on J-Man, the Snarl, because yeah. he is a handful. <laughs> so there you go. Well, thank you, Aaron. I look, forward to, it. <laughs> I look okay. forward to it, and thanks. Uh, yeah, okay, great. So that's a wrap. We're going to be on number 46 next week. We'll have uh, another different uh, panel. And, um, yeah, you guys have a very good week. Everybody drive safe, and we'll see you next week on Highway Freaks. It's on you. It's on you.
Really?